0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2021. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them.
1: And Rosie, she, her.
0: Rosie, thank you for once again leaving behind your ordinary life and answering the call to adventure to come join us on this podcast.
1: Oh, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm always ready to answer the call.
0: Did you get all your equipment? Family heirlooms.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Every Everything's ready. I've got my bag of holding.
2: Your uh, adventurer's book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your magic purse. <laughs> I've got to say, just jumping right into this, we're reading a fanfic today based on The Wind Waker, and I've never played The Wind Waker. Um, but I've got to assume that just like most Zelda games, they they don't address at all why Link can carry as much stuff as he wants, right?
1: No, they don't, which is why I put it in the fanfic as something that I directly address.
0: (laughs) Oh, you've just dropped our big reveal here, Rosie, though it's probably in the episode (laughs) description so everyone knows, which is that we're reading a fanfic that you wrote today. You didn't write it today. You wrote it a while ago. It's a (laughs) fanfic podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Is this the third
2: time we've had an author on?
0: This is the third time we've had an author on because we had Tarin on for what legends are made of. And we had Dr. Zadium for Suburban Senshi. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. It's unique in our
2: our show to actually have that opportunity. And I got to say, like this fanfic is also thirty three chap, well, was it thirty two chapters in an epilogue? Decent length in each of those chapters. Like, this was a quite a a work, an accomplished work,
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. yeah. I was trying to um, figure out the other day kind of how it compares to to other books like like a published novel I think it's probably like you know about the length of a average medium-sized novel or something like it's not a novella I don't think it would be like a a door stopper, but it's definitely um you know up there I think
0: oh yeah over a hundred thousand words is novel length for sure mm-hmm. and uh, speaking of novel, this is a novelization of the game Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker. And so, Rosie, can you just kind of tell us what brought you to writing this, and you know what the story is behind this fanfic a little bit?
1: Well, I was I was young and foolish. <laughs> so when I was uh, twelve, almost thirteen, I got a game system for the first time, and it was a GameCube. And it was something that my brother and I pitched in to buy. Our parents uh, were kind of a little leery about video games. They thought they might encourage violence or, or something like that. So we had to buy one if we wanted one. And both my brother and I were kind of enamored with The Wind Waker. We played it, I think, at like a GameStop or something like that. They had a demo up. And I was just we were just really fascinated by the art style, which is very unique, and all the things you could do in the game that were just kind of fun and cute. So that was like our first choice once we got the GameCube. And being my first video game, I just really didn't know anything about kind of what video games were like. And it was just not what I expected. It was kind of, you know, I think more than I expected. And I was kind of moved by the emotion that they were able to get out of Link in that game. And the... The story, which was, I found very epic. It's probably pretty typical Zelda, but I'd never played a Zelda game. So it was really exciting and impressive to me. And kind of like I often do when I write fan fictions, I was curious about what it would be like to get inside the characters' heads and explore what it would be like to be in that situation. So I just kind of started to do a novelization. because I was, you know, just so amazed by video games with emotions. And then it became a much larger commitment than I think I anticipated being a 12, almost 13-year-old.
2: Yeah, it it is. Like I said, it's really, you know, we mentioned it's long. It's accomplished. It's also really impressive for someone that age. Like, um, we don't know the ages of all the authors we've read but we had one other 12 year old writer that we're really impressed with but this is much longer than that fan fiction I believe and it's also got I am partially because it follows Wind Waker it has a full narrative thread but it does a lot of really unique things and I gotta say like I think listeners who have heard our other Zelda episodes know that I love Zelda that I played all the games they started playing them when I was like four years old barely figure out what the buttons did, you know, on the NES system that my dad had. And Wind Waker is such a cool game for the fact that it's like post-apocalyptic almost in the world. Like it's the whole world has sunk. And you don't really realize that until later in the game, or at least you get hints. But I feel like it has, this fanfic has all the joy of discovery that that game had as well as having some kind of darker moments. I was sort of like, wow, a 12-year-old wrote this.
0: OK, Rosie. OK. <laughs> well, speaking of 12 years old, when you were in touch with me, Rosie, you said that you started writing this when you were 12. But you didn't publish it until a lot later. In fact, the like internet publication date on it is later than we usually do for a retro fanfic. But you told me, oh, I started writing it in the early 2000s. So like, what happened? What happened with the process of writing this and like getting it onto the internet eventually
1: yeah so i started writing it it was 2003 so that would be within the the parameters of the show and i spent an entire year writing a first draft all handwritten Uh, i think i used like 10 notebooks and i was marking the pages and i think by the end it was 800 pages but again it was handwritten and all the notebooks were different sizes. So it probably wasn't really that many pages if you were to, like, you know, do same number pages, uh, but same size pages, I guess. But it was, you know, it was an achievement. And I, I, once I had did, done the whole thing in handwriting, I started to type it up pretty much right after I had finished it. So that would have been like 2004. But then I think just with life and I think I got stuck somewhere in the middle with like fleshing the story out because it was very first drafty when I did the handwritten version. I just kind of petered out and then I didn't really revisit it until I want to say like the middle of high school, maybe like, or maybe junior or senior year of high school. So that would have been like 2008, 2009. And I can't remember when I put it up on fanfiction.net, but I want to say that was like the end of high school, beginning of college. So like 2009, 2010, something like that. And then I got really serious, you know, now that it was online and people were reading it, I got really serious about actually finishing the second draft. And so I kind of buckled down and made myself a kind of schedule and tried to work on it regularly. But even doing that, you know, between being really busy and everything, I didn't finish it until the end of college which means it ultimately was a 10 year project because I graduated from college and put the last chapter up in 2013. So big, big time commitment.
0: <laughs> so how much of the five, like uh, of the version we read, how much of the writing of 12-ish, 13-ish year old you remains in there? Cause you're describing, you know, doing drafts like an actual writer. I, I can barely stand to look at anything I've written after I do a first draft. So like, it's hard for me to, Like, understand what the full drafting process is like. But how impressed should I be with 12 year old you when I read this fanfic, and how much of it is the result of an older you?
1: You know, I think I was kind of, I don't want to, you know, sound like I'm tuning my own horn or something, but I was kind of impressed going back to the early chapters because I think I want to say like the first, I don't know, like 10, 8 to 10 chapters, probably aren't too different from what I wrote when I was 12 or 13. Like the process was basically, I wrote, I wrote it handwritten and that was kind of where I just got out like what my initial impulses were and where I got out a lot of my like kind of bad writing, I want to say. And then through the process of typing it out, I was just kind of expanding on what I wrote and kind of refining it a little bit. So I think that the first I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but I do think that like maybe like uh the beginning through like I don't know, like in Roost Island-ish were mostly kind of my like 14, maybe 15-year-old writing. Um I'm forgetting my point, but yeah, I and I was impressed reading it with um how the plot was pretty well fleshed out and the vocabulary was actually pretty advanced, uh, so I was surprised looking at those chapters again. They were better than I thought they would be.
0: It sounds implicitly like you might think that the writing is stronger later on in the fanfic, which is a little bit sad for me if that's the case, because I was able to read through chapter 12, which is about where you're just describing right now, the chapter called The Wind Waker, um, like with the end of the island with the Doritos and such. And I, I was like, oh, that's that's enough that I'm like getting a feel for what the story is like and, you know, how it's going about adapting the, the fanfic and such. But if there's anything cool that you did later on, you two are going to have to tell me about it once we get into the meat of the story. There's
2: definitely cool things, I will say. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I think I implied this before, but I want to like state it outright. You know, no matter what age you were when you wrote this, this is a really impressive fanfic. Like you mentioned Rosie vocabulary. I was like, I don't know how much of that came later or how much came from when you were younger, but like, there's words like beveled in there at, like to describe the Triforce. I was like, that, what, I wouldn't have thought to use that word. Like there's so many perfect vocabulary choices that don't feel pretentious. Um, um, and it's a good story.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I was really kind of surprised I guess by the vocabulary. Like um, I know that I have a pretty good vocabulary but I often don't really think about it until I read my writing and again like some of the I I wish I could think of a good example but like some of the early chapters do have some big words in them uh like oh I wish I I can't think of a good example but yeah it's just uh kind of surprising like I I guess sort of underestimated my kid self in a way like thinking that. As a kid, I wouldn't have known words like that, but I I guess, you know, I did. And I think it just goes to show that that kids can have a lot going on um, and know a lot already.
0: Yeah, Um, I guess we can probably move into talking about what happens in the story itself, because I feel like I'm hearing especially Tori kind of want to and holding themselves back. but. We're in an interesting position here for summarizing the story, because usually we we kind of walk through the story and describe what happens in it. And this is the first time we've read a fanfic that is a novelization of a pre-existing story as such. And so overall, the plot is the plot of The Wind Waker. Now that having been said, like I said, I've never played The Wind Waker. So does maybe one of you, should we start with just like a high-level outline of the plot of... Wind Waker? Like, not all the things that happen, but just kind of, like, what the setting and situation is that sets Link out on an adventure in this one?
1: Yeah, sure. I I can do a a high-level summary. You know, uh, in some ways, it's a typical Zelda game. It starts with a boy named Link, who is living in a kind of, you know, safe and comfortable uh, village with his family. In this particular game, it takes place on a big ocean, called the Great Sea, on a bunch of islands. And at the beginning of the game, Link's sister is kidnapped by a giant bird. And his goal for most of the game is to to rescue her. Eventually, he realizes that the one behind the bird and everything else that's going on is, of course, Ganondorf, as it always is, and that Zelda is present, maybe in an unexpected way. And he has to save his sister, defeat Ganondorf, get the master sword, and figure out what's going on with the sea and and Hyrule and what the kind of secret behind the world is.
0: That was an excellent high-level summary, as expected from someone who rewrote the entire story into a novel. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Thank I was you. thinking like
2: if if anyone is gonna do this summary well, it's gonna be Rosie. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's some great details in here. And I completely forgot what I was gonna say. So
0: here's the thing. From there, because of the unusual nature of this fanfic, I think we can kind of discuss whatever we want to discuss, right? Like we don't need to talk about the plot progression. We can talk about like different aspects of the story um and you know talk ask rosie about if we have any questions related to it and i'm not sure what makes the most sense conversationally but does anyone have a topic they want to bring up first um start with
2: something so i was meaning to say before that it's been a really long time since i played wind waker like i remember loving the game but that makes it a little hard to remember some of the smaller, you know, differences between this story. There's not much like actual plot difference, but there's a difference. There's more detail. And in particular, one moment that stands out to me is when Link, you know, he's, he meets the boat, the King of Red Lions, it's just a talking boat. If you haven't played the game, has to sail. The first place he sails um, away from the small island he's from is, um, oh shoot. I forgot the name of the bustling city island all of a sudden, even though I Outless. just was looking at it. Outside oh, uh, Windfall. He's from. Windfall, thank you. Oh, windfall, he right. sails to Windfall, and the first person he meets there is Canon, the bomb maker, who proceeds to, like, offer him bombs for a 1,000 rupees, which is a ridiculous amount of money, and then starts throwing bombs at him at, and chases him away, and I was like, does that happen in the game? Because that's kind of like, if it Rosie can um, help me, elucidate me, because I don't remember those details. But it was really well done because he's like, was excited to go to Windfall. But then all of a sudden it's this bustling, crowded city and he's really overwhelmed. And people are mean, <laughs> like Canon is. And I thought that was such a good emotional moment for Link because I'm like, yeah, of course. He's lived on a small town where he knows, small island where he knows everyone his whole life. He's going to be excited to go someplace new, but then he's going to be like, I've never had this much stimulation and why are people so rude? Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, that was pretty well done.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was that was an area where I I fleshed out what was in the game a little bit more just to make it a better... Story and also to kind of create some foreshadowing uh, because Windfall Island in the original game, all that stuff is pretty much there. But in in you know typical video game fashion, you don't have to interact with any of those characters or go to any of those places. Like you can go into Cannon's bomb shop, and he is trying to sell you bombs for a thousand rupees. I don't um, remember if he tries to uh, throw bombs at you if you don't buy his bombs but that was something i i added just to show how mean he was i guess but um you can interact with the rich guy whose daughter's been kidnapped you can interact with the beggar whose daughter's been kidnapped but you don't have to all you have to do is go to zunari and get the sail that you need to to sail your boat so i had actually i think a lot of trouble with windfall island in the first draft uh i think it just didn't really make a ton of sense. It was very video gamey. It was like and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. So that was kind of a a second draft development of like what is important in Windfall Island? What can I do to actually tie it in to the later story of the game and make some kind of point about Link's character and about what he's going through and also just to set up some things later in the game? Like, you know, setting up the whose daughter's been kidnapped kind of shows gives you something interesting later when you finally see the girls who have been kidnapped and um setting up canon uh sets up the pirates going and stealing the bombs later so that's that's what i was doing there
2: yeah it's funny that you bring up link's character because when you play the games you know, Link's supposed to be courageous. He has a Triforce of Courage. We know that he was in all these dangerous situations, but he never speaks in the game. And so I think in many ways in the game, you know, he's he's a, just a hero archetype and he can be an empty vessel. So he's a nice enough kid. People treat him like he's a nice person, you know, and he's a hero. But what this does really well is from the very start, it's pretty much from Link's perspective and gives him all of these emotional moments and like he's not out of character for the courageous hero. Like for instance there's one when he first go has to go to forbidden forest. I remember his grandmother saying to him like if there's anyone who can do this, who is brave enough and strong enough to do this, it's you, Link. And I was like, "Really? 12-year-old on this island?" And then I was like, "Oh yeah, but he's Link." So that's actually accurate to his character. And then he also gets to have fears you know, worries about his sister, and real moments that I think are really like a continuous character development and thread for him throughout the story. And I really like that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I was really charmed by Link in that game. Uh, I don't, if you haven't played Wind Waker, it's got this cel-shaded cartoonish art style and Link himself is really expressive he he's maybe the most expressive link ever even in the more recent games so i think i was just sort of very drawn to the to link in that game and how how cute he is and how well-meaning he seems and i did consider whether to have him talk or not i kind of remember when i first started but then it just i think i did just have him talking right away because it just was harder to to do the mute hero thing in a in a novel type thing but yeah i i was I was charmed by him. I think I read a lot into him,
0: yeah, I think you two, in these last couple you know bits of the conversation, have been hitting on the most interesting thing about the story from a writing perspective and also from a reading one, because when you're reading it, you can see the bones of a game there all over. It's you know, it's not so changed from the Wind Waker that it's not totally obvious. This is a video game kind of setup and format. And so, for example, a whole lot of like the immediate kind of um, sources of tension are like, will this character be able to execute this physical action properly? That sort of thing. Um, But that having been said, it's obvious that like, you as a writer had to find a way to have something else going on during every action scene. And So for example, you mentioned the entering the forest story, and like, obviously, that's your first like hero call to actions, like like finding his bravery, and his confidence that he can fight. And that's kind of a gimme, right? But then like, when they're, when Tetra and the pirates take him to the castle later on, and you know, he gets cannoned into the castle, and there's various stuff going on there. It's like the emotional or like the the character thing going on there is mostly him learning to trust Tetra a little bit or Tetra, like them kind of earning a little bit of a rapport in a partnership because she's talking to him through a magic pendant and so on and so forth like every every dungeon in the game it has to be about something right and so rosie i wanted to ask like are there any parts that you just had a really hard time bringing that element of character or story to from the game or that you feel especially proud of having kind of pulled off in that sense
1: yeah the dungeons were really hard and I haven't read a ton of other Zelda novelizations, but I, I got gathered from some comments I got by people who'd read other Zelda novelizations that the dungeons are really hard if you want to do an adaptation, because they are just so gamey. They're really fun to play, but they don't really offer very much in terms of character development or story. And I want to say, when adapting the dungeons, I was kind of inspired by the Zelda manga. I got really into the Zelda manga around the time I got into Zelda which was around the time I started writing this and I noticed that almost all of them would give Link somebody to go into the dungeon with him to bounce off of like I think in like the Ocarina of Time manga they like send some random Goron into like the the dungeon with him in the Goron area and I think they have him like traveling with Ruto or somebody the princess of the Zoras at one point So, I just kind of modeled uh, that idea and I kind of gave him somebody to bounce off of in every dungeon. So, like in Dragon Roost, Kamali comes with him, which was not in the game. In, um, I guess I don't give him anyone in like the Forbidden Woods, but he like interacts with Makar a little bit. Uh, So, I think once I kind of figured that out, it all came together. But I will say that, like, definitely the most challenging ones were sort of like, those earlier ones uh where it was a little less obvious who he would uh be with like i think thinking back i think maybe the forest the the forest haven part is where i stopped doing the second draft um when i was younger like that's where my big uh break came in because i think i just was like i don't know what to do and then the tower of the gods was another one because it's really not obvious who he would be traveling with and then once i came up with the idea of him having a living statue friend that was kind of where that finally uh came together so i'm i'm pretty proud of that and also it got a good reaction from reviewers like people really liked the statue and were really sad about about that part
2: that part was actually really intense um yeah link at one point and it's interesting to know that your motivation was just to have him have someone to talk to i wasn't even thinking about that but this is kind of what helps develop Link as a character too. He has so much empathy for this, you know, in the game you can kind of control these statues, you know, or bring them to life sort of thing. And, but in this sense, like it feels like a real entity, but, and of course, you know, and eventually he has to take the life away from it again. And it's this real tragic moment of Link's emotional journey. And you feel like, I don't, something I felt for Link throughout this whole story was just, like, uh, like, a lot of empathy for him, but then also just, like, really proud of him, you know? You're like, looking at this 12-year-old kid, like, going through these things and still able to move forward despite how hard they are. And I think that's, like, the very wholesome element of the story that, I don't know, maybe the reason I like the Zelda games so much, too, is it's a hero's journey with a very Likeable protagonists that you wanna, you want to you want to take care of, you know,
1: um, I think that it's interesting to think about my how my feelings toward link kind of evolved because obviously, when I started writing, I was the same age as link is in this story. So I think part of me at first was kind of responding to like the idea of being someone that age and suddenly having all this responsibility and being the person who had to save everyone when you're just a tiny little 12 year old. I think as I got older, once I got past that age, and I was more like college age and high school age, I think I started to see Link maybe in more of a a protective way, like, oh, this sweet little kid who has to deal with so much. So I think some of that might have come out, especially in later chapters, like, oh, this poor, poor little guy or something.
0: Well. To change the subject a little bit, I've got another thing I wanted to ask you about. You've mentioned that the you dumped the first part of the story online as a block, and then you were writing the rest of it serially, right? Um, and, and therefore you were able to have like back and forth between the readership. And that's always, I feel like a really interesting part of serialized fan fiction that we don't often get to hear about from the author. Uh, I remember Tarin, who also wrote stuff as like a, what? how old was he, Tori? Do you remember like 11 or 12 or something 13, also. I think. He was 13 when he was yeah. writing? He was saying like, you know, he would write chapters as Pokemon fanfic and fans would respond and he would just totally shape his story around what the fans liked, uh, you know, because he was catering to his audience, not that that's a good or a bad thing. But I'd like to, I'd like to ask you about that because you mentioned things like, oh, this kind of thing got a good response from my audience or you got praise from certain things. Do you think that audience feedback shaped how you wrote any of the latter part of the story?
1: I think yes and no. I I've always been I think very very into doing what I want to do when it comes to writing something. I don't really like to to change what I'm doing based on what other people want to see. Um so I definitely didn't change the shape of the story based on audience feedback, but I think What I was noticing reading it is that I think knowing that it was being serialized, I built in kind of more of a sense of uh, like cliffhangers and like reminders of how far we've come from chapter to chapter. Uh, I I don't have a specific example, but I just kind of got the sense in your chapters that like if you were reading it in one sitting as a novel, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to like remind the reader of oh like this happened. A chapter ago or like, oh, things have changed so much since like chapter four. But I think I was inclined to do that more because it was almost more like, I don't know, like writing episodes of a TV show or something like building up excitement and reminding people of what had happened and putting in those moments of of excitement and, and cliffhangers between each chapter. But overall, I just knew I wanted to adapt the game and I knew how I wanted to adapt it and I didn't wasn't gonna change it uh, depending on feedback. But the other thing is, I think because it was a novelization of the game, I didn't get a lot of um, people wanting certain things to be different. I think they just knew, like, oh, this is what comes next, and I'm excited to see how that goes and what you what you choose to to adapt it like.
0: That's an interesting point that your audience would have they wouldn't be pushing for certain pairings or certain plot developments because they know that basically the plot is going to be the wind waker
1: yeah i mean i think that could have happened but to be honest it wasn't a like mega popular fan fiction which i think can happen sometimes when something just gains like wild popularity like like anything you can start having like push and pull and people not liking something or people arguing about something but i think The readership was like a nice size in that there were definitely people who were like devoted readers, but it tended to be discovered. People tended to discover it at their own pace. So I would often get people, you know, showing up later being like, I'm reading through all the old chapters and I can't wait to catch up. So it was a combination of, I think, like people were finding it at their own pace. It wasn't like suddenly it was popular and everyone was reading it. And it didn't have like the biggest readership ever. So the people reading it were kind of the people who wanted to read it and were into the idea. So like, I was always like worried that maybe someone would get mad that I like wanted to pair Kamali and Medley or like Lincoln Tetra because people get very invested in ships sometimes, but no one seemed to really care that much or like people would respond positively to it because I think they liked what I was doing. Like the audience was like self-selecting or something.
0: Yeah. Attention! Do you still get for this fanfic like by now in twenty twenty one? Like, do people still stumble into it for Zelda fans? Because it's a it's a relatively small pool of fanfiction, right? So if people are looking for, for example, Wind Waker fanfic fanfic, they might be more likely to find this story than you know they would if they were looking for a Doctor Who fanfic, right? Well, okay. Obviously, if you're looking for a Doctor Who fanfic, they wouldn't find this story. But I mean, like, you are more likely to be discovered within this small fandom, I would think, than for work within a larger fandom years and years later. Am I on target there?
1: Yeah, I think so. People do still discover it. You know, I don't have a ton of familiarity with what the Zelda fandom is like right now or what the fanfiction landscape is like, but I get the sense that Wind Waker's not, like the most popular game for fan fiction. I think that would be more like Ocarina of Time or maybe whichever game is the most recent. So like right now it would be like Breath of the Wild. So I think that it is a relatively small pool and I think novelizations are relatively unusual. So definitely people still find it and seem to be excited about it for what it is. Um, And I actually even, it's on AO3 now, which is kind of where most of, My traffic comes from these days. And I think I got a really sweet review just last year saying, you know, oh, I just discovered this. I had so much fun with it. I want you to know that people are still reading this. It's still really good. Um, And it's really nice because it's not like I get those super often, but like every once in a while out of the blue, someone will find it, who really likes it. And then I get a really sweet review and it's kind of a boost to my confidence. Like, oh, right. People, people like this.
2: Yeah, you know, speaking of, Wind Waker was not the most popular game. In fact, even though I feel like it's one of has one of the coolest plots and concepts, like just sailing over the ocean felt like you we're always exploring and you we're waiting to find something new. But people were really, when it came out, they had gotten used to how Zelda had been adapted for the N64 games, which felt a little more... Real, you know, darker tones. This was the cell shading, the bright colors, the cartoony vibe. Like Rosie, you said it was the most expressive link, but like a lot of people didn't like that stylization. And they felt like, oh, this is, you know, probably a lot of teens, 20-year-olds were like, this is looks like it's for kids. It's not gonna be as serious. It's not gonna be as action oriented. It it was, it was a great game. And that cell shading was awesome. But I can see how Wind Waker would have the very like small insular fan pool and reading this did remind me why i love the game so much so i i would hope that the fans are i don't know they seem like they'd be good people it seems like the zelda game that would have like the nicest fans
1: (laughs) yeah i was thinking that i think it part of the reason i've gotten a good response is because it is kind of a niche it's like people who like wind waker which is not the most popular of the Zelda games and people who like novelizations, which is probably a certain group of people. Cause I think not everybody wants that out of fan fiction. A lot of people want to really transform the work, which you could argue is kind of maybe more the purpose of fan fiction than just writing a adaptation of, of something. But you know, that's what I did. And so I think it's people who are willing, who want who like novelizations, who like, wind waker and are also willing to read something that long because you know ironically i'm more of the type of reader who would like go for something short or like a one shot but i think you know uh and i think that's a lot of people but some people are willing to sit down and read like a a long old thing so i think it attracts readers who fit into that category those categories
0: see have you ever written any other novelizations of anything and if not is there anything that has tempted you to try?
1: I never have written any other novelizations. To be honest, after writing this, I was a little bit uh, like nervous to even consider doing that because it took so long. It's like, I don't want to spend like 10 years of my life on like adapting a pre written thing every time. I just think that would be cool. But I have, I think, been tempted by other Zelda games, in particular, like, you know, there are sequels to Wind Waker, there's Phantom Hourglass, there's Spirit Tracks, which is like a distant sequel. But, you know, I've I've thought it would be kind of fun to take my interpretation of these characters and the world and continue it in a sequel form. And kind of going back to audience response, I have actually gotten people commenting like you should you should do a novelization of ocarina of time you should do a novelization of phantom hourglass you should do a novelization of spirit tracks and like occasionally i do feel like oh you know people seem to want that it would be fun but i'm like that would just take forever i don't know if i want that to become my thing and you know i've gotten into similarly i've gotten into dragon age in recent years that's kind of my big fandom and I've written way too many fan fictions for that as well. And I think when I first started playing the first game, I was like, oh, you know, I have an original character because that's how those games work. It'd be fun to like write a novelization where like she's the main character and like what her experience is. But again, I was like, oh, I don't want to spend like 10 years, (laughs) not that it would actually take that long, like doing a novelization and figuring out how to adapt all the dungeons and." and going through all that again, I kind of feel like I've maybe done that.
0: I think having one good video game novelization in you is impressive enough, frankly. Oh, thanks. Well, we've been talking about some pretty high level, like overview stuff about this story, but is there anything more specific from the story itself that we want to go back to and talk about? Tori, you read the whole story, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, Um, and, and it was, it was, Solid all the way through. One thing I wanted to bring up, you know, is there's one um what I feel is like drawing throughout the story is Link kind of his feelings about the King of Red Lions. Like, um, as you go through the story, you know, the King of Red Lions will be a little bit cagey, you know, or sometimes he'll just fall completely silent. And Link's like, you know, very reasonably, I just met this dude. Like, what is going on? He gave me, you know, a magic purse that refills with money. Like, what? He's a boat. He's a boat that talks. This is weird. And so I actually got this kind of, this dread going through that, like, because I didn't know necessarily that this was going to be a direct novelization. Like, I thought, oh, maybe it could go a different place. You know, the ending could be different. Um, and I appreciated that it did what it did. But I kind of got this, like, Link's sense of, Fear and mistrust there um kind of builds a little bit. I thought that was really strong because yes, the king of red lions is kind of hiding something. And what it drives to at the end is that, you know, when it's revealed that, you know, he's the old king of Hyrule, that he wanted things to kind of be how they were in the past. And the ending point of the story brings it back around to him deciding, no, we're going to I'm going to let you guys go and build a new future, which I think is is implied in Wind Waker, but I thought it was really strong in this story that the King himself got to go through this emotional change. And Link's mistrust, you know, his kind of on and off mistrust wasn't necessarily misplaced because the King wasn't necessarily initially driving towards a future that would be good for Link. He does make the right choice in the end. And the reason I bring that up is just because I think what the story does super well is extrapolates those emotional beats from the characters and makes them like a real thread of the story. So you've got a plot and you've got character development in both the King and in Link. And the other interesting thing, just to bring up one more with the characters, Tetra's response to becoming Zelda, I thought was really good. Link's even like, why are you talking different? This is weird. And Tetra's like, yeah, it is weird. And I liked that too, because... In some ways, I feel like in Wind Waker, it's just like, oh, she's Zelda, and that's a big reveal. That's that's awesome. But you do have all these questions of like, but is she still Tetra? You know, is she still this pirate queen character we've come to know or captain? Um, and I think the story does a good job of resolving that, especially at the very end when everybody gets to go off and be pirates together, or at least sail together. Maybe not be pirates anymore. I thought that was well done. It felt really good at the big, and I was really satisfied with the whole
0: story. That reminds me, Tori, of really early in the story, the first time Link has to fight a Bokoblin with a sword, and you know, is like it, it. It's not like a smooth, easy thing for Link to do. But even so, afterwards, he's like, I, I feel like I use that sword better than I than one would expect me to be using a sword. And I, I liked sort of like the waving at the whole Hero of Time thing without kind of forefronting it or making it a a big deal. Anyway, I imagine like the the Zelda thing sounds like that same sort of moment, but for Tetra.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I think it was like a combination of trying to respond to things in the game that I think are intentionally a little unclear, because when, when Tetra turns into Zelda, it is very weird. It's like her skin tone changes, and her way of speaking changes. And I think there is some debate in the fandom of like, is she sort of a different person when she becomes Zelda? Or like, you know, was she always secretly Zelda? Is she more Tetra or is she more Zelda? Because like Tetra has such a strong personality. Like she's definitely my like favorite Zelda because she's got such a strong personality. So that was me kind of trying to like, uh, you know, put kind of my interpretation of what was happening or kind of guess at what was happening. And then when it comes to things like Link being able to use the sword automatically, that was kind of an, a way for me to explain like why a character in a game can fight so well so suddenly, because it obviously doesn't make sense from like a sort of realistic perspective. I guess not that the story is realistic, but like you know, if you're trying to build some emotional realism, it's like suddenly that becomes a little weird. But also I think it was my nod to like the larger sort of like Zelda mythos of like Link is like reborn and has this heroic destiny. So I think I was sort of trying to establish this idea that like maybe Link is just uh, automatically good at sword fighting because he's got this like special, you know, reincarnation destiny thing going on. Um, So it's like, yeah, it's kind of fun to think about those things when you're doing something like this
2: gonna say that i think the story does a good job of of tying up all those ends
0: is there any other character or plot element that you enjoyed the extrapolation of it seems like pretty much all the characters you had to expand on to some extent if only by adding more dialogue than they originally had but were there any characters that you want to comment on kind of the adaptation of
1: yeah well let's see i had a lot of fun with tetra because i just like her a lot anyway. She's probably my favorite character in the game because she has so much personality and she is kind of mean. You know, like sometimes that can be kind of fun um, to have a sort of mean character. Uh, So I enjoy kind of exploring her feelings toward Link and Link's feelings toward her. Sort of how they, they start out kind of not being so sure about each other and she's maybe overly hard on him but how they kind of grow together and maybe learn to be a little bit nicer to each other. I just enjoyed that because mainly because I like Tetra. And, um the King of Red Lions, like Tori was saying, is a is a really kind of fun and mysterious character. And he was a character whose motivations, I don't think I really understood the first time I played the game. Or the first draft of this story, like, I kind of remember being 12 and, like, not really understanding, like, why does he want to let Hyrule be drowned? Like, why? I don't understand. And it was kind of only as I got older that I kind of realized there is sort of this thread throughout the game of, like, he doesn't really care about anything but bringing Hyrule back. And he doesn't really care about what's maybe best for these kids. It's just like, you've got to be Zelda, you've got to be Link, you've got to be a sage. And it's not necessarily like overtly stated in the game, but once I sort of started to think about it more, I was like, I can see how maybe this is kind of the idea they were trying to get across, like the king is too single-minded, just like Ganondorf is too single-minded. And I did just want to also point out something I enjoyed, like almost like a little Easter egg I put in, is I decided to um, pair Orca and Link's grandmother at the end. I don't know how obvious that is, but I just kind of thought I needed somebody to take care of the grandmother when she was sick. And I was like, oh, it would make sense if Orca did it. And part of me in my head was kind of like, maybe they knew each other as kids because they're probably around the same age. And I was like, maybe they had some feelings when they were young that never got, you know, uh, kind of brought to fruition or whatever. So I thought, that's cute. I'm going to, I'm going to put them together. They're going to be together at the end. And I don't know if anyone has ever picked up on that. Like, no one's ever commented on that, but I just thought I was fun and sweet because you never see like older characters getting paired in fan fiction. So I enjoyed doing yeah. that.
2: No, I definitely thought that was implied. Um, I think you notice it the most when Link's grandmother falls sick and Orca is like very dedicated to taking care of her. And I was like, aha, there's something going on. <laughs>
1: They're like together at the end. So I was like, I'm, I was like, I want someone to to react to this, but no one's ever said anything.
2: I think some of the pairings are like a little bit subtle, but I, I think that works well for the story. Like, because nobody, there's no moment where like anyone kisses, I don't think. Uh, I think it's more just like, ah, uh, yeah, like these two are, you know, they're standing together and they, they hug each other or like something's it's a subtle implication. Like with Lincoln Tetra, for instance, like I think you could say that they're paired together in a way, but it's not overt. And I think you could take it as just being really good friends too. And I I like that because I don't necessarily want a story that like tells me I want that openness. Like maybe they're just really good friends and that's just as awesome, you know?
1: Yeah. And I'm not a writer who's super driven by romance or romantic pairings. Like, I don't really, weirdly for fan fiction, I don't really like get very into shipping. It's not something that I just consider a very big driving force and why I want to write a fan fiction or an original story most of the time. But, you know, I do have like, you know, pairings that I think are cute or that I kind of like. So I did kind of put those nods in there. But mainly it was kind of like just, I also didn't want to change the game too much. I kind of wanted to stick to the basic plot. So like, in the game, nobody ever like kisses or confesses their love. There's some implication about like Medley and Kamali liking each other. There's some implication about Lincoln Tetra as there always is with Lincoln Zelda. Uh, And I liked it, but I was like, it's not the focus. And also these are like really young kids. So it kind of made more sense to me that they'd sort of have that like, Oh, I like you, but I'm not going to say anything because we're 12 and it's awkward and embarrassing. So I almost kind of imagined that like, you know, maybe they'll get together when they're a little older, or like, you know, they'll deal with that when they're more emotionally mature or something.
0: Well, I think that works really well for this story because there's enough ships around already. (laughs) Uh, uh, I guess the king (laughs) of Red Lion is a boat. But, you know, yeah. (laughs) It's a pirate ship. has a ship, so. (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: Yeah, she's got a ship.
0: (laughs) King of Red Lions slash pirate ship. (laughs)
1: that's the that's the pairing that everyone's sleeping on
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right anything else to pick out specifically from the story
2: there's quite a bit in the story um i would recommend to anyone who's listening to this that they read it if they really like wind waker because it's like replaying wind waker but plus i mean you don't get playing the game but you get the whole story and you get more from the characters it's a recommend in my book.
1: And I'd say maybe if you haven't had a chance to play the Wind Waker and you can't because it's hard to get a hold of now, I think, you could You maybe check this out if you're just curious what the story is like. I think I had at least one reviewer who was like, oh, I've never played Wind Waker, but now I can experience the story in some form. So if you're just interested, that's, that's also cool.
0: Well, that's part of, that's kind of, you know, the direction I was coming from since I've never played Wind Waker. I think that's maybe less of a draw in this age of full video Let's Plays available everywhere for every game. But it probably was a bigger deal back when it first hit the internet, actually. Like, that's a relatively recent thing to just be able to hop on and see people play any game ever.
1: Yeah, that's really true.
2: This is like an increase in your immersion though. I feel like a let's play, you know, you've got some commentator being like, and this is how I'm playing the game. It takes your immersion away a little bit. I remember how I used to feel playing a game. Like you'd forget you're holding a controller. It just became this extension of yourself. So there's definitely a different feel between like watching someone playing a game, reading this, which has an increased level of
1: immersion. Well,
0: we're starting you know, Tori, we got on this tack because you were, you know, recommending the fanfic. But before we end with our very nice things, we usually try to find criticism for a story. And I'm very curious to hear what both of you say, Tori, because you like this so much, and Rosie, because just making somebody criticize their own work is always interesting, at least. I don't know about fun. For for me, what I'm going to say is that, like... Um, The writing was really strong, and I'm surprised to hear that a lot of it came out of a 12-year-old, even, like, as far as I read. I think it flows really well, the conversation works really well. I do think that, like, seeing the story so beholden to it being a video game, it's not that it's a bad reading experience, but it does sometimes feel like you're seeing some boxes that need to be checked sometimes with, like, the progression of the story. Um, I don't think that's enough to tank it or anything, but I do think it's kind of... The the main thing I would describe as like a flaw or something that I didn't like about reading the story. Where sometimes it's just like, oh yeah, well, you know, I see the clearly, you know... I don't know, we... It's hard to describe exactly. I guess it's most apparent in the dungeon-type scenes anyway, right? Um, I guess it's kind of like, when when Link gets to the Rito Island, it's kind of like, Oh, things, there's so many things that need to be set up before like the plot can progress and you're just kind of like seeing it happen. But, I, but I, yeah. I feel like this is also verging right back around into praise because I think you do a better job than I would have expected at kind of making it all work as like a story that you're reading that flows together. I was all yeah, over I the place that... there, but do we have any other criticism, Tori?
2: What was that? Uh, I was gonna say it, there's a unique challenge in in doing this sort of thing. So, like, I struggle to even criticize. But like, if anything, I would say that like the there are so many standout moments, but there are also parts that feel like they drag a little. Like it's just going through the motions to make sure that part of the game got into the story. And if anything, I would like to actually maybe even see, it's weird because at first I was like, maybe it's really just because it's so long. And I was like, no, I, I think actually you could make it longer. You could that's <laughs> what I'm recommend you do this, Rosie. I know you're done. And I think it's really good. Um, if I had to like really struggle to find something, this is what I would say is like, there's a few moments you could just flesh out a little bit more. So it felt less like, I don't know. Uh, it Less like, you know, we're going through the motion to get to the next step. That being said, those are pretty few and far between. Doing this sort of work, I would actually expect there to be more of those moments. I'm actually impressed that it doesn't happen as often. So that's me reaching for something that could be better. But in general, I'm pretty impressed.
1: Well, thank you. And I think those are totally fair criticisms. I think something that's maybe a little better about later chapters, too, is I think I got a little bit less attached to having to check all those boxes. Like, I think I got rid of a couple items later in the game. Like, earlier I was, like, very married. Like, he has to get the boomerang. He has to get the bow and arrows. He has to get this item because it's it's all just so much about items. But I think, you know, later I, like, cut out the skull hammer or something because I was like, I don't know what to do with the skull hammer. It's (laughs) weird. I don't like it. And I did have a comment that was like, why is there no skull hammer? It's like, (laughs) I, I don't I don't know, dude, but um, (laughs) so I think I got a little bit more comfortable later on, but I think that I did sometimes get a little too married to that, especially early. But, um, I definitely thought of some criticisms while I was rereading this. Like, I think as you always do when it's your writing, you might notice things that wouldn't be obvious to everyone. Like I, I just noticed Maybe this is kind of more neutral. But I was just like noticing how obvious my influences are in there. Like this owes a whole lot to Harry Potter. And sometimes, like, the writing style is like so close to a writer who must not be named that, like it just it's like I'm even replicating some of the things that aren't good about that writing style, like all the dialogue tags and like needing to very clearly outline what everyone is feeling at every moment. So, I'm not, like, wild about that, although I kind of understand it. Like, I was young, and that was my big influence. Uh, But I think also, like, because of the way the story was written, I could have done some things to kind of make certain character arcs a little bit tighter, like, more consistent. Like, occasionally, I found that Link's dialogue is, like, a little felt a little out of character, like, maybe a little too modern. Like, he'll be, like, a little too... um, like flippant or sarcastic occasionally. And I think that was just like, I was like, it makes sense. I guess he'll say that now, but it wasn't really me thinking hard about like where that's coming from with him being a character. And like early on with the King of Red Lions, I think that he, his motivations don't necessarily make a ton of sense in terms of what he's keeping from Link. It's like just, he's keeping something from Link because he's keeping something from Link. I think I got better with that later. So no, there's some tightening. I might do some like changing of language that i might do uh but i think you know that's pretty normal when you read something you wrote when you were young
0: for sure thanks again for agreeing to do that by the way it's it's a very interesting change of pace from what we normally do to be able to talk with the author about it oh yeah let's reward you with some more lavish praise i think for the end here and i didn't finish the story but other than things that we've talked about directly, did you have any external editors, Rosie, for the story before you posted it?
1: Uh, not a ton, uh, early on, you know, cause I was young, I showed early chapters to my parents and I think, and they were really supportive. Like I'm really, uh, I'm really like grateful to them that they didn't just go like, this is weird. Why are you writing a, about a video game? <laughs> you know, they were very encouraging and like, they, they took it seriously. And I think they gave me a lot of comments about like things being too gamey, given that they like hadn't played the game and didn't know anything about games and were just reading it as a work of fiction. I think that sort of helped me make it less gamey than it turned out to be. Because like in early drafts, there were like things like Link Finding Hearts and like Link Finding Throat Floating Rupees and like all this stuff that like just wouldn't have worked. And my parents would... were pointing out like that just is weird and it doesn't make sense and it feels like you got this from the game maybe you should cut this out so I think that was helpful um but after I got a little older and just kind of started posting it online I didn't really have a lot of other readers and I just sort of like was my own editor so that's that's how that went
0: well, I guess what I was about to praise you about was less the editing because we've kind of mentioned just the writing feeling strong from the get-go and more the proofreading, which is flawless. And like, I if if you were the only one who was working on that, it's clear that, like, you read through it repeatedly and, like, you know, did the revision and did the proofreading and the checking and like polished it before you posted each chapter. And it's just not what I would expect you to see from, you know, well, I, I guess you were older when you posted, but still, it's like, it, the polish on the story is very good, I think. Um, thank you. And so I think that helps it read well also, that there's never anything that pulls you out of it. Like, there's no accidentally copy-pasted sentences, there's no typos, like, you know, everything's all nicely chaptered and titled in, like, a very orderly and aesthetically pleasing way, and I, all that kind of thing. I just wanted oh, to thank well, you for that.
1: Thanks. I have, I have a little bit of an editing background, so that's kind of my, where my advantage comes in.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the attention to detail in the story and in general is just spot on, you know, getting all of those moments from the game, you know, it's like, gosh, like I, of course it's been a while since I've played it, but like just having all those beats there and then tightening it up into what I think is a pretty well-paced story. Like Amato, I know you didn't get, you only got to chapter 12, but I think the pacing gets better as the story goes on and you get this kind of like drive towards the climax and a lot more, like we mentioned with the sages, um, you get more and more kind of like these implications that things are wrong, a little bit of that tragedy. And then that's very satisfying climax where the king goes like, okay, these choices I was making for these kids were not right. And the main thing, you know, I know I've praised a lot. But the main thing I want to praise is the quality of the writing. I always said the vocabulary is good. I think sometimes people who have a really large vocabulary can, like, overdo it and just, like, throw words in that don't need to be there. I thought every word choice was absolutely right. And when it was, like, an unusual word, it was there directedly and for a purpose. And in a way, this is halfway in between, like, the writing that doesn't get in the way and the writing that stands out it moves you through the story really perfectly with, you know, instances of standout moments where you're like, yes, that was an excellent description. I am really satisfied with that sentence. So, I mean, from my kind of English major writer-y side of things, I felt super satisfied with that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It it feels kind of weird to, to praise your own story sometimes, but I guess my, my praise would be that uh, you know, when I started to reread the story, it had been a while since I read through the whole thing. The first few chapters, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like cringing a little bit, like, you know, this, I definitely wrote this when I was younger. There's some things I don't like about this. But as it went on, even I, the writer, started to get kind of into it. I was like, oh, I got to keep reading. <laughs> it, um, It's really moving me along. And I was like, especially later, I was like, oh, this is actually this is pretty good. This is pretty good writing. <laughs> like, who wrote this? This is good. Um, so that was actually really nice because, you know, sometimes I, especially I think since graduating from a creative writing program, like, I don't know how to feel about my own writing, or I feel stuck in my own writing, or I feel like, oh, you know, I don't really have any talent. So going back and reading something that I wrote a few years ago that I'd maybe forgotten some details about and realizing that it was pretty good was really nice and a confidence boost and kind of made me uh, inspired me to sort of, you know, start writing again more regularly just cuz I was like, oh, you know, I'm able to write pretty well and to com- do a complete tell a complete story that's well paced and has some some depth to it and, you know, I can I can do that. That's something I'm I'm capable of. So that was just a good, a good reminder that like, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's still good. It, it was a, it was an achievement. I'm happy that I, I tried that.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad this has been a good experience for you. I mean, I know I do the same thing. Like I go back to my old writing and like, hit or miss, but when I find something that's good, it, it does give me that sense of like, I'm capable of this. I I think this is really strong writing, so I look forward to see what you do in the future.
0: Thank you. Well, speaking of your more recent writing, Rosie, could you tell us where we can find you on the internet with your writing? Because, for example, I'm reading The Wind Waker, which is the story on your AO3 account, but you've only got three stories there, and I know you do other internet writing besides that.
1: Yeah, so... I actually write under a few different names on AO3 because they let you, um, they let you choose a few different, um, they call them suits. Like you can write, you can post your stories under different names. So oh. the wind waker story is under binary solo, which is uh spelled B one N a R Y underscore S zero L O. So it's a little hard to find, but, um, Binary Solo is my primary name, so if you search for that, you'll get all my stories, and uh, you can then subdivide them if you want by some of the different names I've used. It's all there on my profile. And I've written, uh, obviously, Zelda and a couple other video game fandoms, and uh, Doctor Who, and a lot of Dragon Age. (laughs) Probably too much Dragon Age, and not all of it's very good, but if you're into that, it's there. And I'm proud of a lot of it. So you can find me there, or you can search for um, Rosie G9012 on fanfiction.net. And it doesn't have everything AO3 does, but it has especially a lot of my older stuff, and The Wind Waker is there as well. So that's those are the two places to find me Binary Solo AO3 and Rosie G9012 on fanfiction.net.
0: Thank you. And, of course, I will provide be providing a link to this story on AO3 uh, in the show notes and such. And now I see that those three stories that I was seeing were the ones under that one sued specifically. But you can access all your stories here also. I, you know, I host a fanfiction podcast, and I have no idea how AO3 works. In my defense,
1: yeah, it's, it's supposed to be
0: old fanfiction, usually. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> But yeah. Yes, you only need a working knowledge of the internet in the 90s, Mono.
0: You'll be fine. Yes. Um, Agreed. However, just based on my very, you know, perfunctory knowledge of it, I would also like to praise your clean and effective tagging. It looks like a good balance of detail and not too much detail here.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I work. I work on the tags. Sometimes I go back and eliminate them because I'm like, there's too many tags here. So I've mm-hmm. tried to refine that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, then I guess we'll close this out, right? Nothing last minute second stage bosses. Okay. Well, this was episode 111 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, The Wind Waker, uh based on Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker by Rosie who is more or less binary solo, uh, with some other suits thrown in there for spice. And You know, before I go into my whole post-show spiel that I assume some people turn off, I do want to point out that when this show um, goes up, we should hopefully have our Retro Fanfic Retrospective Discord channel open to the public for chatting about fanfiction or the show or uh, probably things like that. I suppose one could talk about other things too. We haven't had an open Discord channel yet, so we'll see what happens there, right? and I can vouch that we more or less know how to use Discord, because at the very least, that's what we're using to record right now.
2: Yeah, Discord from the 90s.
0: Yeah. I was assuming people were worried about me being able to use Discord after I just admitted I didn't understand how AO3 worked. But (laughs) rest your fears. The intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Poppy's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our editor is Dom Davis. And you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. You can also contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic, Facebook at retrofanfic. We've got Instagram at retrofanfic and Reddit at fanfic retrospective. You can also send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Uh, or leave comments or reviews on whatever podcast service you use. And hopefully you can also check us out in our Discord, which there will be a link to in the show notes and uh, probably posted up in our description on our Twitter account. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Rosie. We're just three Earth life forms, exactly the right number to represent the aspects of courage, wisdom, and power. Until next time, take care. Good fight over who's who. Which one's which? <laughs> Sometimes we just all yellow. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes there's more than three of them. <laughs> like in the
2: original game, when you just have to put the triangle together, and it was yeah. just shards of them. Yeah.
0: I think they, yeah. I think they go back and say, oh, that was just the Triforce of Wisdom broken up into a bunch of pieces or something, right? Yeah. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah. I don't know when they brought in the full Triforce. Might have been Operator time. Um, you know,
2: about this before, no. Like, is the tri- it's the Triforce of Wisdom? But then you put all three together, and it's still a Triforce. It's got to you have been a I mean? period it's of like, time
0: because the old Zelda cartoon had that going on. And I think that was just after Zelda 2, right? Would it have yeah. been Adventure of Link that, like, introduced that idea? Adventure of Link didn't have a Triforce. Okay, well, um, it might all have I know been... Is that Excuse me, Princess Link had the Triforce of Courage, so...
1: Oh, you know, yeah, I think it might have know, actually been Link to the Past. Because I kind of vaguely awakening. remember seeing, like... That could be.